0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 201 and this episode is with sports scientist Jose Maria Oliva Lozano. Jose's put some great stuff out on social media um, and it was great to have him on the podcast. We talked about some of the reasons behind writing his book. We spoke about performance tracking and the approach that he takes to that We spoke about preparing players for, I know he didn't like the phrase, but worst case scenarios out on the pitch and what those worst case scenarios are and how he looks at those as well. And then we also spoke about some contextual speed work, which has tied in quite nicely to some recent episodes. Um, Just some tying in with the research um, that Jose has found around speed work and how that should inform practice as well and what that looks like on a practical basis for him. So big thank you to Jose for giving up his time and coming on the podcast. Now before we get into the episode, please do us a huge favour, do ask pretty regularly and we haven't had any on there recently so I'd love to get a few more reviews over on iTunes and also Spotify as well. Spotify is literally just a click and you can click on the five star. iTunes, if you head over there, you can leave us a little short comment, maybe mention some of the guests you've enjoyed the most, some of the topics you've enjoyed the most, just generally what. Um, what you've enjoyed about listening to the podcast and click the five star just massively help us out just to reach more people and grow the audience as well so please do that now just pause now and just head over and do that I really would appreciate it and then just a few heads up on some of our events so this goes out on Wednesday the 24th of August and this evening we have got our event at Rehab for Performance we're doing a QA and a with Dr. Matt Tabernet and John McEwen from Everton And the good news is if you can't make the event, both the recordings of the Q&As will be uploaded onto our online community to be able to access it there. And we've also got an event tomorrow as well as this goes out. So Thursday the 25th of August, we are going to be at Stadium MK, MK Dons. We've got three presentations from practitioners at MK. Um, Simon Crampson, performance director, and then SNC coaches Tom Bromley and Akash are going to be presenting for us. So, really looking forward to heading down there. And again, those presentations will be recorded and uploaded to our online community. And a sneak preview if anyone is up in Scotland, we've had a lot of people reaching out, especially since our last event, which is an absolute age ago. Just put this date in your diary. So, Wednesday, the 21st of September. We are going to be in Scotland. I've not got the full details to reveal just yet, but just mark that in your diary because we are going to be heading north of the border for an event and I will release details very, very soon because I know the last one was very popular and this one is going to be too. So just mark it in your diary and just keep an eye out for any announcements on that one. Let's get into the episode now. So the episode with Jose... Just before we do, I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors and enjoy episode 201. Rezul is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezul Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezul, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 201. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by sports scientist Jose Maria Oliver. Jose how are you? Hi how are you? Nice to meet you. You too. How are things? Very good. Good, good. Well Jose we always start the podcast in the same way so it'd be great to find out a bit more about you and what you've done previously but also what you're doing currently. So can you give A little bit of a rundown for the listeners on your career so far.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for for inviting me to this podcast. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. I I studied a bachelor's degree in exercise and sports sciences at the University of Almeria, which is my hometown. Then I completed my, my master's degree in research and in science, in exercise and sports sciences. And then I I completed my PhD about the analysis of uh, performance, uh, physical performance in professional soccer players. So this is my main academic background. Uh, I have also been working for different uh, clubs, different sports centers, different sports, basketball, uh, soccer, Uh, I have also worked for manufacturers of performance tracking systems, such as video track systems. And I have been recently working for a professional soccer club, specifically in the under-19 team. And this is the Neon Deportiva Maria, which is my my hometown team. And also I, I work as a lecturer and researcher at the University of, of Almeria right now so this is my, my main background uh, all related to to the sports sciences.
0: Brilliant so how is your time split up at the moment is it majority at the university or at the club or how does that work?
1: Well uh, during deep preseason, <laughs> I spend most of the time with the, uh, with the team but my full-time role is at the university. So.
0: Brilliant. And you also didn't mention about the book. So you wrote a book as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a book about
1: the sports scientist and the load monitoring in the context of team sports, specifically using electronic performance tracking systems. The book is written in, in Spanish. i working on the translation to, to English, but uh, this is a pretty new topic, not new, but uh, trendy, and I'm, I'm trying to, to work on, on the project on English as well.
0: So what was the main drive and reasons for, for writing the book?
1: Yeah, so when I was working uh, for this manufacturer of performance tracking systems, uh, I learned a lot about the use of energy sensors and the use of uh, GPS technology, the use of local positioning systems to collect data in the context of uh, sports. Um, when you work for this kind of, co- of companies, your perspective uh, changes because when you are a practitioner, you don't see many of the things that you will see when, uh, when you are working inside the the company that creates the products and develops all the uh, sensors, the platforms, the the reports that everyone sees. Basically, when you are a practitioner, a coach, you just try to download your reports to see the distance that you cover, the sprints that you get. But in the end, we need to understand much more than, than that. So in the book, I talk about uh, all the electronic performance tracking systems that we have to date, for example, inertia sensors, that this can be combined with GPS, the local positioning systems, the advantages and, the, and the disadvantage of using this kind of technologies. Why should I use um, GPS or why? Um, what's the, what is the advantage of using a video tracking system? For example, in video tracking, we don't need to wear any uh, system. Like you don't need to wear any chest vest. It's just the cameras, the cameras that record your your movement. So every system has the advantages and disadvantages, and and I try to analyze all of them. Also, I I try to, I try to explain the reports that we can get: daily reports, summary reports. Which kind of variables should we uh, Focus uh, to select which kind of reports, in terms of evolution reports. Uh, why should I un- uh, understand the use of set score uh, as a measure of variability in the context of training? So this is the kind of information that I talk. And also, uh, I I mention the role of the sport scientists because. Typically, we understand the sport scientist now as a person who is using GPS or something like that, but it's not only that. I mean, the sport scientist is a highly qualified person who uh, has knowledge of sports sciences, who knows how to to conduct uh, research, who knows how to apply the scientific method to answer any question that we have uh, in our daily basis. In the context of, of of sports, so this person is not only the, the one who collects the data and gives the coach a report. It's a person who who does so many so many things, and I think it's, it's the role of this position is is essential. Basically, that's the content the the content of the book, and I think it's quite. Not normal, but it's trendy and, and, and I think people uh, would, would like to, to, know, to know about it.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying there around um, the sort of views that a practitioner in a club would see maybe differently to someone external because maybe you're taking away certain biases or um, even emotion, I suppose, sometimes working with those players, aren't you? And You are literally looking at the data in, involved. And then also what you mentioned about advising on what data to select and use. And that is something we've talked about a lot on here. So what's, what's your strategy for that? What is that led by? Like, Is it is it from the game, the game model, or there are there other aspects that you're looking at that actually determine what to focus on and what to not focus on as much? Well,
1: uh, this is a very interesting question. In the end, uh, this is my approach to... To performance tracking. I I consider that this person needs to be a qualified person for this purpose uh, because you know typically the strength and conditioning coach is the one who also collects the data and and gets the reports and and in, you cannot do anything everything because it's a very specific position and and my approach is that first. We need to re-qualify, We need to be. Qualified. We, need to be uh, we need to understand what what we are analyzing. We need to uh, set specific aims, starting with uh, what did the player do during the session, what is the response to that load uh, for for each player, because we are gonna have a an individualized response uh, to a similar stimulus. Uh, a stimuli mm, two players have. completely different uh, internal response so trying to understand those two questions is key also uh, trying to understand how is the player coping with the load in terms of perceptual well-being and then analyze if the player is ready to to train and, and compete and here is where all the subjective monitoring Tools, the GPS data is useful because we can we can understand the load for each from each day. We can understand the training and match demands. We can understand the 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 specific demands that we are stimulating during a specific uh, task. For example, during transition games, we know that we are going to to focus on high speed running actions that, that we reduce the size of the games, you can increase the, the accelerations. So this is my approach and how I try to to understand uh, uh, the data and and the and the knowledge that I have, I think it's of interest to keep moving forward in, in terms of understanding the, the, the athlete monitoring.
0: And in terms of performance tracking, I know it's an area we wanted to touch on and go into a bit of detail with. So what's your approach to that?
1: Yeah, so I think that daily um, monitoring is essential. As I said, trying to understand what the player did and how the players responding to that load and coping with the load in terms of well-being. But... There are, there are many, many ways to, to see this approach to performance tracking. And, and for example, we, we can design a specific training fields focus on the match demands. But we cannot only consider the average demands. the my approach, the, the average demands are not as important as uh, many people yeah, are, are talking about that. I think that analyzing uh, not the worst case scenarios, but the the peak locomotor demands periods. And we have a recent study in which we, we mentioned that we spend uh, a lot of time above the 90 minute average demands. For example, uh, this study that was conducted with a colleague uh, from Italy, Andrea Rivoli, and he has experience in. in this uh, content, and we showed that the, the 90 minute average demands uh, represented uh, 53% of the total distance, 16% of the high speed line distance, or 20 to 23% of the sprinting distance. So, in the end, we need to focus much more uh, above the the average demands. And this is the, I tried, something that I tried to do during the training sessions for example and we try to design this based on the worst case scenario i don't i don't like talking about the worst case scenario concept i used to do it but now you read a little bit you can see that the worst case scenario is not uh, as real as we think because in the end we have the worst case scenario of total distance, the worst case scenario of high sprint distance or, or accelerations, but a worst case scenario is not uh, a unique period of the session uh, of distance cover. It's the, the, only, the unique period of the session in which you have uh, high intensity accelerations, high uh, sprinting distance, uh, a lot of distance cover. So this is how I see that, that we should try to, to understand their the performance.
0: And with everything we're collecting as well, in terms of re- reliability, validity, and knowing what to use and not so what to disregard, but what to focus on, like what's your views on that? And maybe advice for people as well in terms of when they are trying to implement something new into their programming?
1: Well, I would say that First, understand the data that we that we get. Is this data valid? Uh, Is the source that we are using to create the data reliable? This is very important. Uh, We have a a study which has been published in the in the Science and Medicine Football Journal, and and we discuss. the the quality of the of the data that, that we get. I mean, not specifically the quality of the data, but FIFA is conducting a, a research study to to suggest which kind of tools or GPS or local position systems, optical tracking systems, which kind of which kind of tools are valid and reliable to collect um, position and, and speed, which are the main the basics of monitoring today. So this is a very, very cool project and and the quality of the projects is good. But in in this study, we we analyzed um, how they are reporting the information. For example, if, if I am a practitioner and I want to buy a GPS, I cannot go to the reports, find the one with the best scores and then and buy it. That's not a good approach. Why? Because every device, every GPS from each company has been analyzed in different conditions. Why different? Because if I am a GPS company and my GPS is tested uh, in one side of the beach and then another uh, GPS Device is analyzed in a different side of the beach. This is, I don't, I, I, would say that this is not, it's not about the validity. It's about the comparison. You cannot compare between one GPS and another because the conditions in which these were tested were not the same. Also, if we are a, a GPS company and and my participants do three different drills, and then when I go with the second GPS company, they do different drills compared to my drills. We cannot compare the data from each from each uh, reports. Maybe the the one GPS has got better better results, but they could have kids under 12 years old that couldn't reach high-speed running actions. And then the, the greater the speed, usually we get more error when we are uh, analyzing the data. So what, I, what we say in this, in this study is that we need to be careful about the information that we manage to, uh, to analyze the data, to buy a GPS or a local positioning system, for our our team. So that's something important to to consider. And then uh, another approach is that we should try to keep it as simple as possible. Once we have the data, once we know that we are using uh, right tools, then keep it as simple as as possible. Try to collect uh, what you can collect. Try to uh, analyze um, subjective measures combined with objective measures and don't get lost in the uh, thousands and thousands of variables that you are going to get. So that's try to keep it as, as simple as possible, that would be my, my advice.
0: Because that's easily done, isn't it? There's so many sets of data that we could end up with that you can kind of get lost in the weeds a little bit and not know where to focus your energy. So. What was your approach going into the club that, that you are working with as well, Jose, in terms of data collection and on what you're using? Can you, t- can you talk about that in terms of why you may be focused on certain areas?
1: Yeah, um, we have changed a little bit from last year to this year, but I always say that collecting subjective measures is something that everyone can do. I try to teach my players. And the importance of giving uh, the real answer. I try to avoid the, the fear to not play, not to play on, on Saturday or Sunday. Try to remember that this information is going to be important for us to make decisions, to have them be available uh, for the coach. And once I do that, uh, I submit every questionnaire after the session, and before the session. After the session, I send uh, an RPE uh, questionnaire, and before the, the session, every morning, I send a wellness questionnaire to analyze uh, mood, uh, sleep quality, uh, delay on self muscle soreness, and and the level the level of stress that they have, and specifically if they have any problem, they uh, are sick. Then I also have an open question to talk about that. That's the basics: subjective uh, information, subjective monitoring, and then I use some GPS data uh, for the daily basis. We we have. Hundreds of variables, but uh, the main variables that I select are distance, high-speed running distance, high-intensity accelerations, high-intensity decelerations, about three meters per second squared, high metabolic load distance, and and then I combine this with the RP which is uploaded to to the platform. So these are the main the main variables that I use and. If I am analyzing specific drills, I consider, I I don't consider the the whole uh, distance. I consider distance per minute. Uh, And I try to do all the editing of the drills as well, as good as possible Uh, to to make sure that I am analyzing effective uh, training data.
0: I mentioned at the start of the episode, some of the content that's gonna be available on our online community very soon. And if you're not already a member, the good news is you can go and get yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab and getting yourself signed up there. We've had practitioners from literally all over the world joining recently so we've had coaches from Crew Alexandra, Motherwell Women, um, FC Michelin, Stoke, Man City, Warrington Town and a number of other clubs signing up so it'd be great to see you joining our community engaging and connecting with coaches right across the world but also getting some of the content that perhaps you can't come and watch live. So we've got the two events, the event at RIAF for performance and also the event at MK Dons. All the content will be recorded and uploaded onto the community. So whether you can make the events or not, you'll be able to access it all there. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and get yourself signed up for a free month. Let's get into part two of the podcast now with Jose. And what about presenting that data as well, whether that be to players, coaches, even fellow sports scientists or, or sort of medical um, coaches? Like, how would you go about that? And is, is, is there some stuff that you do present and also stuff that you hold back just for yourself?
1: Uh, since I use this GPS uh, device, this is uploaded to, to the software, which is S-Pro. S-Pro up- uploads it to WimCloud. So in the PDS cloud, we have uh, ready to use or ready to print um, reports. Uh, we have also some, th- some dashboards. But right now, since we, we just started using this kind of technology, uh, I'm using the daily reports, simple reports, and task reports. At the end of the microcycle, I also see the evolution of the load in the microcycle and try to give a coach, the coach uh, an idea of players who have more load, less load. And, uh, yeah, This is how I try to do it. I think that I can do much more, but we are just starting, and as I said in the very beginning, I, I don't want to get lost. Uh, I know quite well this system because I work for this company, but I, I think I, I need to keep it simple and, and try to don't
0: get lost in the, in the data and from the coach's perspective I know every coach can be a little bit different in terms of what they what they want to see whether they want a detailed report or maybe it's just a conversation from your point of view like has as your coach have they wanted something printing out like what's the sort of approach you take with them what what have they requested from you uh,
1: this year um, all, all the, the the coach, all he wants is to know a little bit what happened in the session. Uh, I I explain him what the players did and how they respond to this load in terms of the uh, But I I I I don't have to print the reports every day. And indeed, I think that today uh, we are using. Uh, this kind of technologies with clouds and and we don't need to print a report to to show anything. Like we want to talk a little bit about something, we just go into the report online and discuss it. So, I think that this data is also useful to interact with the coach. For example, I remember one of the first days, one of the first weeks of pre-season we designed our training task and when I was seeing the task, I was a little bit afraid. I mean, I was saying we are doing something wrong. We sometimes you make mistakes, right? And, and you design, you don't design the task as you wanted to do it. And they were doing so many accelerations, high intensity actions. And and when I saw the coach, the, the, the report, I told the coach, hey, coach, please. Let's see at this. Let's see this data and, and we need to keep this in mind uh, because it was too much thought, uh, and I think that we should uh, have reused it. And indeed, we should have made a decision during the training session, maybe, but we let it go. And um, we, this data help us to analyze it and say, Okay, yes, we were right, this data are very high, maybe. We should try to avoid it, this kind of day during the week. So this is how we can use this kind of information.
0: I know you talked about, I know you said you didn't like the phrase, but what kind of worst case scenario and how that is split up into everything you talked about before, whether it's distance covered, accelerations or all the different aspects of it. What would, how would that then um, inform your programming? So, if we're taking this in mind that we players are potentially going to have this worst case scenario, how does that inform what you do with the players? Well, um, data is it's very useful. In the end,
1: just you need to sit down and try to understand everything you you get. the The worst case scenarios are not easy to train. Why? Because the worst case scenario, I would say, is um. First of all, an unpredictable situation—something that mm, you cannot predict when it's going to happen. If it's going to happen in the first ten minutes of the match, or if it's going to happen in the last five minutes of the match. So, and based on that, uh, we try to design a specific drills and a lot of transition games, a lot of uh, small-sided games, which we create. Uh, a, a disadvantage for the defense so that they need to uh, be more uh, physically demanded. and Or, for example, we would tell a player you, if you uh, give five passes, the midfielder needs to go to, to the corner and come back to generate that uh, disadvantage. So, this is how we try to to collect
0: the, the data and try to analyze the, the training that, that we design. Brilliant. And the other area we wanted to talk about, I know it's a bit of a change in topic, but I know something you, you've done research around is um, around contextual speed work. And again, it's, a, it's an area we've spoke about quite a lot on the podcast. So in, with your research, where, where's that focused initially? Where's the research, what has the research been on?
1: Well, this is one of the, the projects that I like the most right now. We when when I started doing research, uh, as a person who works in the academia, all I wanted to do was publish and, and publish. But in the end, you you understand that you need to to keep a practical perspective. And, and when you try to do practical research, then the results are more interesting. So in this study. Uh, well, we have different studies, but the main study that we have is that we try to understand when and how the players sprint in in professional soccer matches. So we can see that players usually sprint in the first stages of the match, for example, in the first 15 minutes. But also we can see very high amounts of sprints in the last phases of the match last 15 minutes of the match also we we have seen that the players do, do never sprint linearly uh, it's very strange to, to sprint linearly they do never sprint from zero speeds and, and we design a lot of sprinting injuries uh, from 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 stuff. like we, we are one two three go right and and this is something that it's not real. It's important to train. Okay, it's important to train, but it's not the real uh, sprint action in soccer. Also, we saw that these actions are usually not performed with the ball; these are without the ball, and and this depends a lot on the on the position. Like, for example, the purpose of, of each sprint is different based on the position. If I am a a forward or a wide midfielder, my sprinting actions are going to be more related to breaking the box, running behind, to run a channel to, to, to exploit space. So this is completely different to the sprint of a central defender. Central defender is going to be more focused on interceptions, on recovery runs, or the ball is over the top, and I go and I need to run the, uh, back to my goal. So, this is different. And I think that if we keep this perspective during the training sessions, that's also important. I'm not saying that we need to program sprinting actions only with the ball and, uh, I mean, the context of the game. but it's important to train uh, sprinting actions as as they happen during the course of the match. Uh, again, I say this doesn't mean I don't need to perform uh, sprinting actions, 30 meters sprints uh, from single speed. No, uh, we need to do it. But if we combine this with contextualized sprinting, then
0: uh, it's, this is highly uh, recommendable, highly recommended. Because uh, surely that's just adding to the toolbox, isn't it? You've got then the ability to sprint linearly, linearly and from a standing start, for example, like we talked about, but then also we've got the more contextual side of things where you're sprinting from a jog or a backpedal or how, however it is. That's surely the case, isn't it? We've got that full spectrum, full toolbox available for the player. Sure.
1: Um, I think... I've never seen um, a training session designed for this purpose, like for contextualized sprinting. Uh, I'm sure that many people do it uh, uh, over the world, but not many people pay attention to this. Uh, these actions are going to occur in uh, eleven aside game, ten aside game, in in a, in a training session. But if we are in a in the day of the microcycle, in which we are, are going to focus on sprint, we can also design these kind of uh, games or, or strategies to, to perform contextualised sprinting actions.
0: I suppose the other side of it, Jose, is that, that these actions and these occurrences are real game-changing moments, aren't they? Because the, some of the things that you've talked about there, like, for example, a centre-back, having a ball clipped over the top and having to be on the half-term. That's essentially goal opportunities, isn't it? So these are the times that are real game-changing moments?
1: Uh, one of the things that we would like to understand also, we didn't analyse yet, is the more context behind the, behind the action. For sure, there is a lot to analyse. This is very complex. We We try to... Keep it simple, but it's not as simple as we can imagine. Uh, uh, all we can say is that the sprints that the central defenders do are completely different to the sprints that the forward is doing. And uh, same for, for the midfielders, same for for the for the full backs For example, the full back has a lot of space to run, and they may get longer distances. In our study, we showed that the sprints are from 30 to 55 meters on average. And the maximum speed that they get is between uh, that range of 30, 33 kilometers per hour. But this depends a lot on on the purpose of the action, on the context, on it's very, there's a lot of variability in, in, in these actions.
0: And then with that data and obviously more, more data and research to be done on in that area as well, again, how does that inform practice? Does that simply come back to maybe splitting off into positions and working on these contextual movements and contextual drills that are created from that? Or how does that then work? Sure, sure. Uh,
1: we, we use it. Uh, we can use it to to design uh, these training strategies. For example, um, I have not uh, implemented a lot of strategies uh, about the contextualized sprinting until I completed this research and I started to try how we could use it for different positions. Uh, We should work uh, with separate groups uh, in the session, but, we don't know too much about uh, sprinting, contextualizing sprinting today. This can be surprising, but it's real. Like, I think it's one of the first studies and trying to understand this uh, context. And there are some researchers also in, in the UK, they have done previous works uh, in previous, previous years, but uh, we don't know, for example, what happens with youth levels and what happens with with female players and this needs also to be investigated and or for example how is the referee going to perform a high intensity action so there are lots of things to keep investigating and try to uh, give practical information not only to the coach but also to the referees the players and other researchers
0: yeah, brilliant. It's a really exciting area, isn't it? Because that can be really impactful for the game as well. Um, Jose, have you got anything else to add on? Anything that we've touched on so far?
1: It's fine. It is. The going well.
0: Perfect. Well, if you're happy, then we'll move on to some of the quick fire questions that we finished the podcast with. Um, first of which is, I always ask, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far?
1: Well... Well, first of all, my family has always supported me and, and got me into sports uh, when I was very young. Specifically, my dad very inspiring because he was a professional soccer player, and he, uh, you know, I was always in the training sessions, and, and I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to, to do something like that, and I, I, that was very, very inspiring. But then, in real professional career, uh, my PhD supervisor has been very influential and of course working with this company that I told you and gave me a huge perspective about uh, performance tracking and so all people all workers and working there and I learned a lot from them because I work with engineers uh, software engineers and uh, the people who designed the, the device, why should it be bigger or smaller? And why should we place the, the, the antennas for the local positioning systems uh, in one place or another? So all the people also from the sports science uh, department, and it gives you a, a, a big perspective about what you are doing. So I would say these are the main uh, the main groups of people that have influenced me.
0: Brilliant. And what would you say your biggest strength is as a sports scientist, a practitioner?
1: Well, uh, I always try to do my, my job uh, the best I can. Um, but one of the things that I think is very good for me is that when I have a target, when I have a specific aim, I, I know how to put all my resources, my tools, my skills to achieve that goal. If it's time, if it's uh, not only my professional time, but also time from my personal life, uh, I have a lot of dedication to, to what I'm doing. And that's something that uh, I really like. And, and it, I think it works. It works.
0: Jose, the next one is I always ask about what advice you give to uh, your younger self. So if you were to go back, maybe just starting out, just getting qualified, like literally looking for the first opportunity, what would be the top bit of maybe career advice for yourself?
1: Well, I always mean a person who wanted to be, to get quick and faster to where I wanted to go. So I would say that Don't get desperate and and just enjoy what you are doing and, and put all your effort on that task. And if you do it well in the future, something else is waiting for you. So just try to enjoy what you are doing and don't get desperate.
0: Great bit of advice. And then the final one, I always ask about CPD or continued learning or how you essentially keep evolving as a practitioner you've obviously got a lot of research going on yourself so i'm sure that is one area that, that you're constantly learning but is there anything else like what how else do you con- uh, continually improve
1: well listening to postcards is one of the best ways uh, I, I use also and uh, reading articles books not only from sports science but also other disciplines uh, try to uh, understand that if you talk with another practitioner, it's also an opportunity uh, to learn. And going to conferences, participating national and international conferences, this is great because you can uh, keep up to date and know what's what's going on. So I don't like to do promotion, but uh, I was recently in the uh, uh, Soccer and Science Congress in Coimbra, and I learned a lot of things there, because many people uh, were talking about different uh, different things, different topics, and that was really, really useful. And also, if I think that if there is any certification or any course that I that I like and it's going to be useful, I, I try to, to do it.
0: Brilliant. You mentioned there, just an extension of that question, you mentioned about the books and looking into not just sort of sports science books, but what what else, whatever topics do you you read around? And have you got any recommendations, any book recommendations?
1: I I read a lot of uh, books related to motivation. And as a practitioner, I think that you need to be happy, you need to be motivated and reading and, these kind of books is very, very helpful and very inspiring to to keep moving, moving forward.
0: Is there any recommendations? Any that stand out for you? <laughs> I have
1: some in in, in Spanish. Uh, to be honest, these kind of books I, I read in Spanish. One of the books that I have recently read in English, really good from uh, sports science. It's the, National International Association Essentials Sports Science it's really really recommended and I really
0: really like it brilliant well Jose it was great to have you on the podcast thank you very much for doing it where would you direct people if they want to stay in touch with you they want to keep up to date with the research you've got going on like where would you direct people
1: well I also try to be very active in social media so I encourage people to follow my accounts on Twitter. Uh, it's JM Oliva Lozano. my last name. Uh, also on Instagram, J M Oliva Lozano. Uh, Sport Science. And also on LinkedIn and Research Case. So I will recommend people to, to see what uh, what I post because I try to do a lot of Transference of knowledge, and and it's working now. I, I really like the interaction with
0: the people. Well, brilliant. Jose, thank you very much. Thank you for giving up your time. Thank you very much. It was a great time with me. Thank you for listening to episode 201, and thank you to Jose for coming on and giving up his time. Go and give him a follow. He's you can search him on LinkedIn to start with. Go and search his name on LinkedIn, you'll find him on there. Also over on Instagram, JM Oliva Lozano underscore sports science. And then on Twitter, JM Oliva Lozano on Twitter. So go and give him a follow and connect with him. Let him know what you thought of the podcast. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Takeaways on this one, I think some really key things actually. So he spoke about practitioners and companies seeing data differently. So we spoke about it in the episode where it's kind of removing emotion because you're not knowing too much about maybe the players involved or even the coaches involved in the session. So it's probably quite good to get different eyes on data sometimes, um, people that aren't involved at the club level. So if you've got the resource to do that, it could be a good thing just to enhance what you're doing and just get another perspective, whether you follow through on the advice or what what they come from. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but Surely another opinion would just help to, if you've got an open mind with it, it would just help to inform practice in the right way. So that was initially one thing I took away. Um, he also spoke about educating players to give real answers on, on questionnaires. And I think the thing he's trying to get out with this is that obviously a lot of things that we try and put in place regarding wellbeing and monitoring to fatigue. And I think a lot of players, probably more in the past have looked at it as if like they're trying to catch me out they're trying to find reasons why I can't train and it's just trying to educate them around this is the reason why we are doing this we're doing it to help you we're doing it to get the most out of your training Um, and I think there's a lot of clubs doing some great work around this and I'm sure there's a lot of cultures around that have that set in place but maybe just question whether that is yours whether players are still approaching it like that and whether there is a bit of added education required. And then also um, around the um, contextual speed where Jose obviously talks about players not sprinting linear, linearly, easy for me to say. And also players um, don't tend to take off from standing. And so that can inform your drills. Like How does that impact your drills? And obviously he went into detail on the different demands uh, positionally as well, because that informs what players do. But he also said on the podcast, obviously, it's not something that you're never going to do. You're never going to line players up and race from a standing start linearly. I said it wrong again, linearly. Um, Because there are benefits to it. But it's just trying to think about what actually is going on with the game. And one thing that comes up time and time again is working with the game in mind, starting with the game in mind. And that is essentially what is happening out there. So how does that inform what we do and how we prepare players um, away from the pitch as well? So really enjoyable enjoyable episode. I can't say anything today. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but really enjoyable episode. Thank you, Jose, for coming on. And thank you again for listening. And as I mentioned at the start, please go and give us a review over on iTunes and a quick five stars over on Spotify. I really would appreciate it. And we've got some great podcasts as well coming over the next few weeks, some really, really cool guests. So keep an eye out for that. And I'll speak to you next week in episode 202.